0: Discourse One to Three of Cases of Conscience Resolved. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Cases of Conscience Resolved by John Owen Question. What conviction of a state of sin, and of the guilt of sin, is necessary to cause a soul sincerely to look after Christ? Answer. There is one thing only that I shall at present speak to, and that is this. What is the lowest condition that hath the nature of conviction in sincerity, so as that souls may not be discouraged from closing with Christ, because they have had no greater convictions of sin? and i shall speak to it on this account because although the things that have already been spoken by others are true and such as those who have spoken them have found them to be true by the word and their own experience yet it may be others have not come up in their experience unto such a distinct observation of the work of conviction as hath been laid down that they may be discouraged for seeing conviction is so indispensably necessary Some may say, It hath not been thus and thus with me, according as hath been declared. Therefore I would only show what I judge to be so necessary, as that without it a soul cannot be supposed sincerely to have closed with Christ. And we have all made our profession of choosing and closing with Christ, as I would be loath to say anything that might discourage any, lest they should have failed in the very necessary work of conviction, so I would not betray the truth of God, nor the souls of any. Therefore I shall place it upon this, what Jesus Christ doth indispensably call men unto, in order to believing in him, that is indispensably required of them. And this I shall manifest out of two or three places of Scripture, Mark 2.17 I came not to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Now this calling them unto repentance is a calling them unto it by the faith which is in him. The Apostle saith, 1 Timothy 1.15 It is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. What kind of sinners doth Christ call? Whom he calls to repentance he calls to faith, and whom he calls to faith, that they may truly believe. They are sinners, opposed unto them, that are righteous. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The righteous, who are those righteous? The scriptures tell us of these very men, that they were two sorts of them. First, such as trusted in themselves that they were righteous, and despised other men. As long as a man trusteth in himself that he is righteous, Christ doth not call that man to believe." So long as a man is persuaded that his condition is good enough, he shall do well enough, that man hath no warrant to believe. Another description of these very persons, though upon another occasion, is given by the Apostle Paul, Romans 10.3, where he says, They were ignorant of the righteousness of God, and went about to establish their own righteousness. Though they did not come to trust in themselves for righteousness, yet sought righteousness as it were by the works of the law and went about to establish their own righteousness. Jesus Christ doth not call these men to believe. These righteous persons have no ground for believing. What is the conclusion? Lost sinners, saith Christ, this is that I require of you. So that this is what I assert to be indispensably necessary, namely, that they are so far convinced that they are sinners, as to state and course that they are not righteous in themselves, and can have no righteousness in themselves. I say therefore, when a person is not really convinced that he is not righteous, he is not under the call of Jesus Christ, and if he doth believe this, he is under a sovereign dispensation, and let not such despond. Another direction of Christ is, The whole need not the physician, but they that are sick. Matthew 9.12 there are, in my apprehension, two things in a sick person that have need of a physician. First, he hath an uneasiness. A man who is sick, though he would shift it, yet his uneasiness will cause him to send for a physician. Saith Christ, I come to such persons who say they can find no rest or ease in their present conditions. It may be they have often tried this and that, and see all will not do. They are sick still conscience reflects and their hearts are burdened, and they must have relief or they shall not be free. Secondly, there is a fear that it will end in death. This puts the sick person upon sending for a physician. When the soul is made uneasy in its state and condition, can find no rest or ease, it thinks, if I abide here I shall be lost forever. This soul doth Christ call, this man will be at the charge of a physician, cost what it will. There is another word of Christ very remarkably speaks just to the same purpose. Matthew 11.28 Come unto me, all ye that labor, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. A soul finding itself under want, laboring after something, whereby it may be accepted with God. I will not confine this to extraordinary instances, for sometimes he is found of them that sought him not. But the ordinary case of a laboring soul before closing with Christ is to abstain from sin, pray more or less, be found in duties and under strong desires to be accepted with God. And what is the end of these labors and endeavors? They labor and are weary. That is, they see their labor comes to no effect. They do not find rest and peace and acceptance with God. And here is the turning point. Isaiah 57.10 Thou art wearied in the largeness of thy way, yet saidst thou not, There is no hope. When the soul hath laboured for acceptance with God, and comes to be weary, saith Christ, Come unto me. No, saith the light of nature, come unto me, trust unto your own endeavours. Saith the soul, I will try what it will do. I will not say, There is no hope. Saith another, I will not say so, I will go unto Christ. This is he whom Christ calls. Now these things I do account indispensably necessary, antecedently to believing, as to the substance of them. And this, I hope, hath been found in all our souls. And if we have obtained so far, we need not then question whether our close with Christ be sincere or not. This is all that I dare assert to be absolutely and indispensably necessary. Many pretend to believe, though they were never convinced thoroughly, that they were not righteous never were sick in their lives, never had fears that they should die. These are contrary to the express rule Christ hath given. I came not to call the righteous but sinners, not those that say there is hope, but those that say there is no hope. Question. Seeing the act of closing with Christ is secret and hidden, and the special times and seasons of our conversion unto God are unknown unto most. What are the most certain evidences and pledges that we have cordially and sincerely received Christ and returned unto God? Answer. I do acknowledge the inquiry is very large, and such as we may be straitened in, through the abundance of it. We shall only speak plainly some few things that to me are an evidence of a sincere closing with Christ and receiving of Christ such as I know have been of use unto some. First, when there is a permanency and abiding in the choice we have made of Christ, notwithstanding opposition against it, that we shall be sure to meet with all. I do not speak to the nature of the choice or the means of it, how the mind is prepared for it, but I speak unto the poorest, the weakest of the flock that may be inquiring whether they have made a sincere choice of Christ or not. I say they may try it by the permanency and abiding in their choice against opposition. And there are two sorts of oppositions that will try us and shake us as to our choice, as I have found it, if I have had any experience of these things. 1. Opposition from charges of the guilt of sin and the law. 2. Opposition from temptations unto sin. 1. There will even after sincere believing and closing with Christ, be many a heavy charge brought against a soul from the law and the guilt of sin in the conscience. Now in such a case the inquiry is what the soul abides by when it is shaken. Why, truly, if a man go only upon mere convictions on such shaking impressions of the guilt of sin, he will be very ready and inclined in his own mind to tack about to some other relief, He puts out fair for his voyage, the storm arises, the ship will not carry him, he must tack about for another harbour. I have known it so with some, and experienced when the wind hath sat very strong that way with myself, when the guilt of sin hath been charged with all its circumstances, the soul hath been very hardly able to keep its hold, yet notwithstanding resolved, I will trust to Christ." but it hath been tacking about to self again. I must remedy this, have relief for this from myself. I cannot abide by it and live wholly upon Christ. And when the storm is over, then I will go out to sea again. I say this is no good sign to me when things are so. But when a soul in all those charges that sometimes come upon it abides the issue, here I will trust upon Christ. Let the worst come upon me. This I call a permanency in our choice against opposition. I hope you have experience of it. 2. There must be a permanency in our choice of Christ against temptations unto sin, as well as against the charges from sin. Truly the former of abiding with Christ against the charges from sin is our daily work. It is sometimes more high and pressing, but it is our daily work. But there are also temptations unto sin, It may be to the neglect of our duty, or to a compliance in any evil way, which we are subject unto while in the body, and perhaps great sins. Here Joseph's reply applied to Christ is that which doth argue our choice of Christ to be sincere. How shall I do this great wickedness and sin against God? When the soul can draw a prevailing argument from that, how shall I do this and relinquish my Lord Christ? I will not do this against him whom I have chosen. This is a good argument, if frequently reiterated, that our choice of Christ is sincere. Secondly, growing up in a love unto the person of Christ is a great evidence to me of a sincere choice of Christ. It is a blessing field that is before me, but I shall but hint things unto you. When the soul hath received Christ, it cannot but study Christ and though it is no argument against the sincerity of a man's faith and grace that he doth principally regard the offices and graces of christ and the benefits we have by him yet it is an argument against the thrift and growth of it for a thriving faith and grace will come to respect principally the person of christ i mean this When the soul studies the person of Christ, the glory of God in him, of his natures, the union of them in one person, of his love, condescension, and grace, and the heart is drawn out to love him and cry, Doubtless I count all things but loss and dung for the excellency of Christ Jesus my Lord. What is thy beloved more than another beloved? My beloved is white and ruddy, the chiefest among ten thousands. He is altogether lovely. To see an excellency, a desirableness in the person of Christ, so as to grow in admiration and love of Him, is to me an evidence that when all fails besides, will greatly support the soul, and persuade it that its choice is true. Nay, it is one of the most spiritual evidences, for I much question whether an unregenerate man can love Christ for his own sake at all but it is a good sign of growth when our love to the person of christ grows when we meditate much upon it and think much about it i could show you wherein the beauty of christ's person doth much consist but i have not time now to do it thirdly another evidence to me of the soul's having made a sincere choice of christ is when it continues to approve judge well of and every day more and more to see the glory the excellency the holiness the grace which is the way of salvation by Jesus Christ, approves of it as not only a necessary way, a way it has betaken itself to, because it must unavoidably perish in any other way, but when it approves of it to be a most excellent way, in pardoning sin freely through the atonement he hath made, and the imputation of his righteousness unto us, while the righteousness, the holiness, and the grace of God in all this is glorified. Saith the soul, What a blind, wretched creature was I, that I did not see an excellency in this way before. It is better than the way of the law and the old covenant. I approve of this way with all my heart. If all other ways were set before me and made possible, I would choose this way of going to God by Jesus Christ, as the best way, that brings most glory to God, and most satisfaction unto the creature, and is most suited to the desires of the heart. I would have no other way." I am the way, the truth, and the life, says Christ. And this I will abide by, whatsoever becomes of me, replies the soul. Though I should perish, I will abide by it, since God hath given me such a discovery of the glory of saving sinners by Christ, that is inferior to nothing but the glory of heaven. I see that glory to God in it, that exaltation to Christ, whom I would love, that honor to the Holy Spirit and safety to my own soul, that I will abide by it a growing in the approbation of this way gives some assurance that we have made a true and sincere choice of christ give me leave to add this one thing more fourthly that a delight in obedience unto god by christ in the ways of his own appointment is a great evidence that we have chosen christ and he us chosen him as our king prophet and priest The ways of the worship of God in his church and ordinance are the ways and worship of God in Christ, which he hath appointed. Take these things abstractly and in themselves, and we should be apt to say of them, as was said of Christ, there is no beauty in them, nor glory, that they should be desired. There is much more outward beauty and glory in other ways that Christ hath not appointed. But if we love the ways Christ hath appointed, because he hath appointed them, then we choose those ways because we have chosen him to be our king. And that is it which gives them beauty and life. And when the ways of Christ's appointment grow heavy and burdensome to us, we are weary of them and are willing to have our neck from under the yoke. It is a sign we grow weary of him who is the author of them. And this is a great sign that we never made a right and sincere choice of him. Many other things might be offered as evidences of sincere closing with Christ, but these are some which have been of use to me, and I hope they may be so unto some of you. Question. What concern have we in the sins of the day wherein we live? Answer. All sins may be referred to two heads. First, irreligion. Secondly, immorality. First, irreligion. And that may be reduced to two heads. Atheism and false worship. You may add also particularly the contempt of all instituted worship it takes up much of the sins against the first table however at present i shall only speak of the first of them as to atheism then it may be no age can parallel that wherein we live consider all the ways whereby the atheism of man's heart may discover itself for take it absolutely and in the seat of it it is found only in the heart of man unless some one or other prodigious instance breaks out some time as we have had in our days. But otherwise, the fool hath said in his heart, There is no God. The heart is the seat of atheism. But we consider the ways whereby this atheism may and doth manifest itself. 1. By horrid, cursed, blasphemous swearing, which is a contempt of the name of God. And when did it ever more abound in this nation? 2. By reproaching of the Spirit of God. Perhaps this is the peculiar sin of the nation at this day, and that the like hath not been known, or heard of, in any nation under the sun. 3. By scoffing at all holy things, at the scriptures, at everything that carries a reverence and fear of God, so that a man who dare profess a fear of God in what he doth makes himself a scorn. 4. Contempt of all God's providential warnings is another proof of atheism never had a nation more warnings from god's providence nor ever were they more despised these things brethren are not done in a corner they are perpetrated in the face of the sun the steam of them darkens the whole heaven and they abound more and more every day secondly shall we go to the other head viz immorality and see how it is there It would be an endless thing to go over the sins that reign among us, oppression, blood, uncleanness, sensuality, drunkenness, all to the height raging and reigning in the nation. I mention these things as a matter to be bewailed before the Lord by us this day, and we ought to be affected with the consideration of them. Unto this great prevalency and predominancy of sin in the whole nation there is added a strange and unspeakable security the truth is men were a little awakened one while in the nation when the judgments of god the pestilence the fire the sword and the year after another warning from heaven were upon us then there was a little awakening like a man out of a dead sleep that lifts up his head and rubs his eyes for a time but i can say this that it is now towards forty years since god enabled me to observe something in the world and to my knowledge I never observed this nation in that state of security wherein it is at this day, for even in former time there were warnings continually that God had a controversy with the nation, and those that had any fear of God spake one to another about it, and we saw and found their warnings were not in vain. But here is now a general security. Men complain of straits, want, poverty, and the like, but as to anything wherein God hath to do with the world, either my observation doth greatly deceive me, or I never saw, I think, so general a security as at this day in this church. And this security hath reached us all, even the churches of God themselves. These things are matter of fact. The whole question is whether we are greatly to be concerned in these things or not. They are the sins of wicked men, and they are the sins of the persecutors of God's people, and the like. And what have we to do with them? The psalmist of old said that rivers of tears ran down his eyes because men did not keep the law of God. And you know that God doth set a special mark upon those, not that are free from the abominations of the age, but upon those that mourn for the abominations that are in the midst of us. It will not be enough for us that we are free from those abominations unless we are found to mourn for them brethren our own hearts know we are guilty in this matter and that we had need seek the face of god this day to give us a deeper sense of these things than we have obtained the name of god is blasphemed the spirit of god reproached a flood of iniquity spreads itself over the nation the land of our nativity over the inheritance of christ over a nation professing the reformed religion all things go backward everything declines indeed brethren if you will not I do acknowledge here before you and to my own shame. I have great guilt upon me in this matter that I have not been sensible of the abominations of the nation so as to mourn for them and be humbled for them as I ought to have been. And you will do well to search your hearts and consider how it is with you whether indeed you have been affected with these things or whether you have not thought all is well while all have been well with yourselves and families and it may be with the church that may have no trouble upon that account. The security that is now upon the nation is dismal, and, I may say, I see no way or means whereby the nation should be freed from this security. The conduct of the ministry which they are under generally is not able to free them from this security, nor the dispensation of the word, that it seems to be a security from God to lead on the nation to judgment, the means for the removal of it, and the awakening of us being laid aside, and if it comes this way or that way, way, anyway, though we see not the morning of it, you will find yourselves concerned in it. Who may abide the day of his coming? We may do well, brethren, to consider the state of the church of God in the world, among ourselves and our own condition. I need not tell you how it is in the world, but this I can say, that to my apprehensions the interest of Christ and the gospel was never so fast going down in the world since it came into it, as at this day. I will give you my reason of what I say. When the gospel was first planted and brought into the world, the devil was not able to bring the church into its apostasy under six or seven or eight hundred years, and that by degrees." Since the time of the Reformation, the church was progressive for about seventy years, it stood at a stay about the same proportion of time, and ever since it hath been going backward, straightened in all places, the power of it decays, and the peace of it is taken away, and destruction everywhere seems to lie at the door. Many, indeed, are in great misery and distress, some I have heard of lately, sold for slaves for the testimony of their conscience." How is it with the Church of Christ in this nation? Truly some in great poverty, in great affliction, in great distress, and, I am afraid, we and others have not hearts to relieve them as we ought to do in a due manner. However, let us help them with our prayers. And that which is worst of all, there seems to me, I must acknowledge it, to be a very great decay in all Churches of Christ in the nation, especially among those of us who have had most peace, most prosperity." That which we call zeal for God is almost quite lost among us. Some of us have almost forgot whether there be such a thing as the cause and interest of Christ in the world. We, who have cried and prayed about it and had it upon our hearts, have sat down in our narrow compass and almost forgot there is such a thing as the interest of Christ in the world, so as to have an active zeal for the ordinances of God according to rule, as God requires of us. Our primitive love, how is it decayed? value of the ordinances of christ and the society of his people for edification how cold are we grown in these things how little is the church society upon our hearts which some of us remember when it was the very joy of our souls truly we have reason to lift up our cry to god that he would return and visit the churches and pour out a new fresh reviving spirit upon them that we fall not under the power of these decays, till we come to formality, and God withdraws himself from us and leaves us, which he seems to be at the very point of doing. Then, brethren, let us remember our own church, that God would in an especial manner revive the spirit of life, power, and holiness among us, that he would be pleased to help the officers of the church to discharge their duty and not suffer them to fall under any decay of grace or gifts, unfitting of them to the discharge of their office to the edification of the church, that he would give them also to beware and take heed of formality as to the exercise of gifts in their administration, and that he would take care of us, since we are apt to fall under these things. Let us pray that we may be acted by the Spirit of God, and enlivened by the grace of God in all things we do have any of us any particular occasions in reference to temptations trials and troubles we may bear it upon our hearts to the lord this day this is much better than by multiplying a company of formal bills the lord help us to know the plague of our own hearts and to be enabled to plead with the lord upon this opportunity for grace and mercy to help us in every time of need end of discourse 1 to 3